This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here's your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome. Glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build businesses or innovate in their industries. Sometimes it's a chance to learn something new or hear a different perspective or take on creativity. And today we're talking to Whitney Johnson. She is a leading thinker on driving corporate innovation through personal disruption. Okay, a lot of jargon there. I know you've heard that word a lot, disruption. But Whitney is going to uh, talk to us about disruption innovation as art, not only in your professional life, but your personal life too. I first saw Whitney Johnson on Twitter. She was promoting her own podcast, Disrupt Yourself. She's got a great marketing team. I liked how her pod was promoted. I reached out, I read more about her, and I thought she has a lot to say to the listeners of my podcast. So we set up a time to talk and we had a great, fluid, fun conversation with lots of value. So I hope you enjoy it. I've been enjoying that post-vacation glow of a quick trip to Maui for spring break. My daughter is finishing her senior year of high school and my husband is an educator, so we still call it spring break in my household. This time we headed to Maui. I slept in, I did yoga on the lanai in the morning, took lots of walks on beaches, hiked, and spent lots of hours just kind of letting my mind wander. And the restorative impact of vacation Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't last very long when you get back, uh, which is why I try to take lots of mini vacations instead of one or two long ones during the year. Interesting article I was reading on the plane back in Psychology Today shows that short vacations that last just a few days can be as recuperative as longer vacations, whether it's a week or just a long weekend vacation fade out, as it's called, is pretty much the same. Just a few days after returning to work, you feel pretty much like when you left, which is fine if you like your job, which I do. If you don't like your job, it might be time to disrupt yourself professionally. So it's a good thing we're spending some time today. Now, Whitney has a seven-point framework for doing this, which she's going to talk more about. Uh, Things like take the right risks, play to your strengths, embrace your constraints, battle entitlement, step back, give failure its due, and be driven by discovery. But before we get into all of that, let me chat briefly about a guy who is always disrupting himself, and that is my friend Dave from New Age Aerial. He's been doing a fair amount of piloting these past couple of weeks. He sent me some pictures of him and his Cessna over the Orville Dam, and then some others of him in, I think, an antique plane or something like that this week. He just loves getting up in the sky, either in a plane or with his state-of-the-art drone army. So if you need aerial video, look no further than New Age Aerial. Dave and his team have 50 years combined remote control experience with fixed wing, rotary, and multi-engine vehicles on both land and water. Combine that with the latest in digital photography and you have gorgeous pictures or video. So if you need either breathtaking still shots or video for your film, project, or real estate, Dave will exceed your expectations. And it's so easy easy to work with him. He'll take your idea and make it even better. So give him and his team a call or look him up online. That's New Age Aerial 916-645-3474 or newageaerial.com. 
Whitney Johnson is a former award-winning stock analyst on Wall Street. She is a coach for Harvard Business School's executive education program and the author of Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work. Whitney Johnson joins me now, and thank you so much for being here, first of all. I know that we had scheduling difficulties, but we're here, we're together, and I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Christina. Fabulous. Tell me a little bit about how you got your start in what you are doing now. You Was it a pivot somewhere in your own career that took you on this path to helping other businesses? Yeah, it, it was a complete pivot. So I, I, I had launched, um, I had worked on Wall Street as an equity analyst picking stocks, and I had left that and co-founded a, a fund with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School to invest in um, stocks that were disruptive, basically a silly little thing that takes over the world like Toyota did to General Motors and Netflix did to Blockbuster. And when I was working with him, I had this big insider aha, really, that this framework that we were applying to products and services and companies actually applied to people. And so um, I, a few years later, I sold my stake in that investment firm and for the last seven years have been really chasing down that idea of of how do people disrupt themselves and how do you, you know, use these frameworks of personal disruption and the S-curve learning framework that we've developed to help high-growth organizations develop high-growth individuals. So disruption has been in the lexicon for a little while, but it, when you first say it or when I, I remember first hearing it, it can spark a little fear in people who you know, perhaps are wondering, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for the career capital I already have or the career that I've built? Absolutely, and it, it's a it's a fun it's a funny interesting word because we do typically like oh that's so disruptive like that disrupted service and so usually like you say that word sparks fear in others but when you think about the term disruptive innovation as a term of art um, it really is something that is very small that people oftentimes dismiss that ends up. Um, really, in some ways, taking over the world. And, and we've seen this play out over and over again. The telephone did it to the telegraph, and the automobile did the horse and buggy. And, and like I said, you know, Netflix to Blockbuster. And so when you take this idea and you start saying, okay, so what does that mean for me? And is this necessarily a bad thing? I could potentially get disrupted, like I could lose my job. But what if I take this idea and say, no, I'm going to be the disruptor. I'm going to be the person who people underestimate, who people don't necessarily think they can actually accomplish something. And then you go in at the low end, um, the silly little thing, and then you end up taking over the world. And I think when we start really evaluating our lives, we realize that we have done that on a number of occasions. We did it when we started high school, right? You start as a freshman, you get to the top, you graduate, then you start over in college, you start as a freshman, graduate, you know, get to the top, and you do it over and over again in your career. And you realize, oh, this is something that I've already been doing very instinctively. And on the one hand, it can sound like a bad idea, but the reality is, is that when you get to the top of that curve, you become a senior in high school or college. You do need to jump. You do need to disrupt yourself because if you... If you don't, you'll just stagnate and stay there and maybe get pushed off. Much better to just jump and to really start that cycle all over again. When you're looking working with employees, I'm, I'm assuming now that you know Gen Zers and Millennials are fairly uh, you know comfortable with this approach. But as you move up into the Gen Xers and the baby Boomers, is this something that causes a great deal of discomfort, or do you find just as much willingness to jump and disrupt themselves in those populations? 
Well, you know, it's interesting, Christina. I think everybody has struggled with it for different reasons. So um, I'd say people who, you know, the, the Gen Gen Xers and baby boomers, they will see it and oftentimes have, have even been disrupted themselves. And I actually have this hypothesis that Sometimes we are at, you know, at the top and it's time for us to do something new and we know it, we won't do it. So the universe gives us a nudge. So I think once you're, you know, more seasoned, you've had experience with it, so you instinctively get it. It's more a question of, okay, so I want to do it. I'm ready to try something new. How do I persuade the people around me to let me try something new? And so this framework gives you some guardrails and some guidance for how you might persuade others around you to try something new. I think for people who are just coming out of college, it gives them also guardrails, but for a very different reason, where they're saying, okay, I've known exactly what to do in college. Here's what I need to do. I do this and this and this and this, and I get an A. And now they're going out to the workforce. They're like, I have no idea how to navigate this. And yet I know if I'm going to be successful, I have to be willing to disrupt myself over and over again. So uh, so this, this is a framework and provides them a structure to make it feel a little bit safer to do the thing that they wanted to do in the first place, which is to change. And how do you make those, how do you start? I mean, you've been working, let's say, in a career for, for many years. Maybe it's a career where there isn't a ton of, of you know, innovation and change constantly. Uh, and so you're comfortable with the position. You're comfortable at your salary level. Your boss seems to be pretty comfortable with um, the job that you're doing. How do you make those small changes to kind of activate your your energy and your innovation again? Mm. Such a great question. Well, if you think about, um, I think that the, the one way you start is you you take this S-curve of learning framework and you say, okay, so everyone's on a learning curve, including you, including me. And we know that um, we're, we're wired to, to, to learn, loop, and repeat, to not know how to do something, to figure it out, to master it, and start all over again. And, and we also know that when we're at the bottom of a learning curve, there's going to be this jumble in our brain and we don't know how to piece it together, so it's going to be slightly confused. We also know that once we get into the sweet spot of our learning, we feel energized and, and feel competent and confident. And that feels really good and all our neurons are firing. And then when you get to the top of the curve, like what you just described, where you know how to do your job, your boss is pretty happy with how you're doing your job. On the one hand, that feels kind of good. But on the other hand, you know from the neuroscience that you're not learning and you're bored. And there's this feeling inside of you that you feel just a little bit stuck like I, you need to do something else. And so I think the starting point is just to be aware of this, of like, oh, I'm cranky, or oh, I'm feeling slightly dissatisfied. It's not that you don't have a great job. It's not that your life isn't good. It, what it's telling you, though, is that you it's it's a call for you to start to learn again. To You've learned, and now it's time for you to leap so that you can repeat again. So I think that's a good starting point is just to be aware. Do you, are you in favor of the side hustle? Do you think that's a good way to kind of pilot some of your ideas or, or channel your creativity? I, I, I am. Um, I think, you know, if, if I look at the seven point framework of personal disruption that we've codified, the very first tenant of that or accelerant is to take the right kinds of risks. It's, it's to take on 
market risk to try to play where no one else is playing as opposed to competitive risk where you know there's an opportunity, but, you know, 10 million people are doing it. And, and market risk, though, implies that you don't know if there's a market yet. Um, and so that means that you aren't necessarily going to be getting paid. And while you're figuring that out, you're sort of at this low end and this miasma of things, and you don't know what you've got. And so I, I am very much in favor of the side hustle as a, as, a, as a theoretical matter. As a practical matter, most people really struggle with it because it requires you to be on one learning curve, the one you're currently on, generating cash, um, doing your work that you're doing today, and then also doing something else. And most of us struggle to straddle two worlds, but I, um, and that's part of the reason why when people start to have children, women in particular, they oftentimes leave their job because it's hard to work and hard to parent at the same time. But I am actually very much in favor of the side hustle. Just know that when you do it and you're figuring this out, you've got this duality, it's going to be messy and it's going to feel a little bit painful, but it does, it does serve you very well as you figure out, you know, where is the market for you? Um, because with market risk, you don't quite know in, in the beginning. Should you pick something? I mean, I'm assuming you should pick something that you have a little career capital in. I mean, if uh, maybe you don't want to leave your job as a programmer and, you know, open a yoga studio. So you want to do something that you're kind of familiar with. How do you, how do you identify Mm -hmm. what your next thing is going to be? And I know that's individual. It's such an individual question, but how do you help people identify what their next iteration is? Yeah, it's a great question, Christina. And and one of the things that's interesting is you will find, and I, I did this, and I think most people do this, is when, when you've been doing one thing for a really long time, you're like, I'm so done with this thing. I want to go do something totally different. And I don't want to have to use any of the skills that I've used. Like that pendulum swings so far. And it's pretty natural. And so that's one of the, it's kind of like the rebound boyfriend. And so it's pretty natural to know that oftentimes when people decide to do something new, they're probably going to date this idea that isn't the right idea just sort of to get it out of their system. And then they swing back to the middle and say, okay, so what is it that I do want to do? And, And to your question, I think a good place to start is to ask yourself, what aspects of my job that I'm currently doing, do I actually really, really inherently enjoy? What is fun for me? What is and, and start there and then, and then build on that. Um, the, the second tenet of the personal disruption framework is to play to your distinctive strengths. And one of the things I would also say is really the importance of playing to your strengths, which is much harder to do than it actually sounds because whatever we do remarkably well is invisible to us. It's so reflexive. It's so easy. We don't see it. And even if we see it, we don't value it. So part of your doing your thing that's next is, to build on what you're already doing, the parts that you like, and also really be willing to, to build on what you do uniquely and innately well. And if you'll put those two pieces in place and be willing to play where others aren't playing, which you might be able to find via your side hustle, then you're on, on the path to figuring out what the right thing is to do next. Of your clients or companies that you've worked with, what is a what is something that comes to mind uh, quite a bit as something you're particularly proud of in helping someone disrupt themselves or disrupt their business? Maybe one of the most uh, innovative or or surprising disruptions you've been a part of. So one that I'm I'm really excited about that that's cer- certainly already begun to play out is that um, one of our clients. It's um, 
it's Western Governors University. It's one of the largest online universities in the country, if not the largest. They have like over 100,000 students, and they're really focused on disrupting higher education. 70% of their students are people who've gone to college, it didn't work, and now they're coming back. So very disruptive overall, that silly little thing that plays where no one else is playing. Um, but what's been really fun and exciting there is I think about the framework of personal disruption is they had one of their senior leaders who um, had been at the organization for um, about 15 years and done a fantastic job. He was very much at the top of his learning curve, and it was time for him to do something new. But, you know, what do you do? Because oftentimes in those instances, they're like, okay, fantastic, you did a great job, you kick him off the curve, and you move on. Well, he'd been great. He loved the organization. Everybody wanted to stay engaged with each other. And so what, what they came up with, um, he – together with the CEO is, okay, well, we've got, we're growing very quickly. We've got lots of market risk greenfield opportunities. So why don't you go run, basically be the CEO of this new initiative, which is around college readiness. So he was at the top of this curve as a chief marketing officer, jumped to the bottom of a new curve, taking on this initiative, very entrepreneurial, and is doing a fantastic job. And so that to me is like disruption playing out that personal disruption. And by the way, not only is he disrupting himself, but because he is disrupting himself and the organization WGU is allowing him to do that, then the organization is able to also play where no one else is playing. So, you know, the fundamental unit of disruption is the individual. You do it for yourself. You find something for you to do. You typically find something for the organization or the company that you work for to do. So that's that's a, a success that I get really excited about. Nice, nice. Do you find it easier to work with individuals um, with your disruption framework or companies? Mm. You know, what I find is, uh, so we had this happen not too long ago. People were saying to me, so what kind of companies do you, you know, in part of this branding exercise, like what kind of companies do you work with? What, who, who, who wants to work with you? And I had started by saying, well, you know, it can be a company that knows they need to change, and then we come in and we make it safe for them to change. Like, that was in what was in my head. But when I started to look at who wanted to really engage, they were high-growth organizations or are high-growth organizations in need of making sure their individuals are high-growth. And so um, that's where these frameworks of personal disruption really, really resonate because it's something they're already doing and they want to do even more. To answer the question, um, you know, we work with individuals, and, and because it always starts with the individual, that's where we start. As I said, the fundamental unit of disruption is the individual, but it's only really going to work um, an individual on their own can only do so much. Once you've got to have that systemic buy-in and that systemic buy-in we found where it's most successful is where the CEO says, I want to do this. We've got this high growth organization. We've got to maintain that growth. We need to equip our individuals, calibrate them for that high growth. So we're going to do this organization wide, but we're going to start with the individual and provide them with the tools and the coaching that they need in order to to up up level um, from a from a performance standpoint. So when someone hires you and you come into their business, what are some of the first things that you do? Do you observe for a while? Do you you know interview everyone about the culture? What do you look for? You know, it's it's a great question. Um, so what typically happens? Um, one or two things happens. Sometimes what will happen is that the CEO, because I do CEO coaching, they will reach out to me and we will start 
it will engage. And the very first thing that I'll do with the CEO is do a 360. So have them do this very robust, you know, feedback from their peers, from the people, you know, from their board, from the, you know, their spouse or their partner, the people who work for them and get feedback on them. Because again, if you're going to really um, be a high growth individual, you've got to know what your strengths are and where some of your blind spots are. So that's, that's the first place we start. Once we do that, what I found is they start on this path of really accelerating their growth further. Then they want to think about, okay, so here's where I am on my learning curve and here's what I'm doing to move up the learning curve. Then we oftentimes will have them say, okay, we want to roll this out to our senior executive team. Can you do a training for our team overall? Or can you, can you and your, your company coach some of the people um, on our executive team. And then we want to start to distill this throughout the organization. So that's one route. Another route is people will have read our books or listen to our Disrupt Yourself podcast, bring us in to speak, and they're like, okay, I am converted. I, I got it. We want this in our organization. And then we'll start to engage that way. Um, but that's typically how it, those are two two different ways that it works. But it's it's typically with either the CEO or people hearing these ideas and not only being instructed, but sort of being inspired and moved by them in a way that they they feel galvanized and, and impelled to act. So the framework that's codified in Disrupt Yourself, putting the power of disruptive innovation to work, uh, does it work in your personal life, or is this strictly a professional framework? hundred percent in your personal life, hundred percent. So um, I'll give you an example. So I've talked about how it works in your professional life a little bit of taking the right risks and, um, you know, playing to your distinctive strengths and embracing your constraints. But I'll give you an example in my, in my personal life of the way that has played out. So one of the, um, uh, the tenets of that is that you have to step back in order to grow. So, you know, stepping back can be a slingshot forward. So one of the ways it's played out in my personal life is um, I look at, so when I was in college, I met this young man. I liked him a lot, um, but I was really afraid to to marry him because my parents had had a very, very bad marriage. And so, um, and, and, you know, my dad like embezzled money, you know, not, not good stuff. And they didn't really love each other. So for me to marry him, even though I really liked him, loved him, was going to require that I change my point of view to step back from how I was viewing the world. So major sabotage during our courtship, absolute misery. Courtship was too fun. <laughs> it wasn't in our case. Husband did not want to marry me. But, um, but when, but, you know, in, in part because of, he felt strongly about this, a little bit of providential guidance. He decided to, that he would marry me anyway. And um, so, so what, what happened here? Well, sometimes in order to disrupt, you need a little bit of help. So once to disrupt, you have to be willing to take a step back from who you are. My, who I was was this person who thought my husband would be like my father. Who I was was this person who thought if I get married, I'll completely lose my identity because by becoming a wife and mother. So I had to step back from how I was viewing myself and the world and what my identity would look like. I needed some help to do that, who turned out now to be my husband. Um, but that step back turned out to be a slingshot because – um, most, you know, people who are listening, if, if you have found someone that you love who loves you, you find that it's always a slingshot forward. And certainly becoming a mother 
has helped me be more me than I could possibly have ever been by not being a mother. So that's a more personal example, but it, it absolutely applies not only in your career, not only to your business. And that's why I love this framework because it also applies very much to you personally and who you are and what you do and who you want to be. Can you go through the framework and just name the points of it? Absolutely. So, okay, seven-point framework of personal disruption. I want you to picture this S and how you move up that S or, or, or learning curve that I've been talking about. The first accelerant is to take the right kinds of risks. I've alluded to this. There's the competitive risk versus market risk. We tend to take on competitive risk, meaning we know there's a job. Um, we can see it. It's on LinkedIn. Um, but the fact is, is that there's 50 other people applying for it. Market risk is you don't know if there's a job, but there's a problem you think you think needs to be solved. Excuse me. You can solve it. And so if you can create that job, then there's only one applicant. It's you. You take on market risk and your odds of success, according to the theory of disruption, are six times higher. So that's number one. Number two is play to your distinctive strengths, the things that you do well that other people around you don't. So if you're really good at marketing, then you need to own the fact that you're good at marketing, but don't necessarily put yourself in a situation where you're around 19 other marketers. Put yourself in a situation where you're an amazing marketer in a field of people who are good at finance. So now you're not only playing to your strengths, but they become distinctive strengths. So that starts to move you gradually up the curve. Number three is to embrace your constraints. We tend to think if I, didn't, if I only had more time, more money, um, more buy-in, then I could really get the momentum that I need to move up the curve. But the reality is, is that we need friction. We need constraints. It's a law of physics that we have to have something to push against in order to gain momentum. Number four is battle our sense of entitlement. Now you're moving up that curve. You've gotten in that steep part of the curve. Things are going really well. You've got a lot of momentum, but it's easy at that point to think this is the way things will and should always be to deserve what we have. Um, the problem with that is that as soon as we start thinking we deserve what we have, we stop asking questions like, what could I do differently? How could I be better? And we are very much at risk of sliding back down the curve. Number five is to step back in order to grow, to step back to seeing shot forward, like I just described with my personal experience. Sometimes the only way we're going to reach that summit is to take a step back. And you think about it, you bring a fist back to punch, you crouch before you jump. Um, disruption involves moving sideways, backwards, sometimes even down in order to catapult yourself forward. Number six is to give failure its due. If you think about failure, it's a, it's a constraint. Um, just, it's very much a constraint. It can be a tool of creation. The thing that I think most about failure is that we, we need that down in order for us to go up. But the most important aspect for me personally is to recognize that it's not actually failure that limits our ability to disrupt that, that ability to move forward. It's the shame that we feel. And so we have to ditch the shame, not allow the failure to become a referendum on, on me or on the people that, that work for me um, in order to move up the curve. And then number seven is to be driven by discovery at the top of the curve, the bottom of the curve, everywhere in between. And what's really exciting about that is we think, okay, well, if I'm driven by discovery, then I might not get where I want to go. Well, guess what? You're in good, good company because 70%, 70% of all successful new businesses, including people like Netflix, started out with one strategy and they ended up with a completely different strategy. And so as an individual, whether it's in your career, whether it's a business you're developing, whether it's in your life, 70% 
uh, extrapolating as, uh, of all successful new businesses, new people, new college students end up in a completely different place. But it's that ability to walk into the unknown, to to take a step forward and adapt is, is what allows you to, to really be driven by discovery and then move up a learning curve. So those are the seven, seven points, that framework of, I'll repeat them one more time really quickly. Take the right risks, play to your distinctive strengths, embrace your constraints, battle our sense of entitlement, our ego, be willing to step back in order to slingshot forward, give failure its due, um, whether we've seen experiences of failure or success, it's a choice. And then number seven, be driven by discovery at the top of the curve or the bottom of the curve and everywhere in between. So that's the framework of personal disruption. Oh, I love it. And I can see how it is absolutely applicable to your personal life. And I particularly like the last two. I think failure is magic. When I, I have two grown daughters, one's 17, one's 21, and when I think about uh, the times in their lives where they learned the most and I had the most opportunity to help them and to teach them is the, time that they, the times that they failed in life because the way you learn how to deal with that and manage it, I, I mean, will will totally catapult you ahead in life. And then I and then I love you know always being curious and wanting to learn more and, and the uh, the art of discovery. Just those, I think those are my favorite too of all of them. But all of them again are so applicable to your personal life. I love that you said that, Christina. Failure is magic. That was just so lovely the way you said that. And it's, and it's so fun to hear that those are your two favorites. So what has got you just, I mean, what gets you out of bed right now? Like, what are you working on right now that is just completely exciting in your life? So I think the thing that I'm really, really excited about, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but one thing that I'm super excited about is um, this work that we're doing with uh, Western Governors University, WGU. So I told you about a few minutes ago where they were so excited about these ideas. So we did this training for 110 senior executives and this idea of the learning curve was so sticky. Like they didn't even expect it to be this sticky that they said, okay, now we need you to come in. We need to train our internal trainers so that they can teach it to all the managers because they want to use this with their entire organization. And so when I realized this, is something that's really making a difference for people. It allows them to understand how to manage their own career. It allows them to understand how to um, really create a, a context where you can have these high-growth individuals so that your organization continues to be high-growth and you see the ideas be something that is in a person's mind and allows them to manage better as an individual or a leader like that. It's just so exciting and so fun. Nice, nice. So I ask every all of my guests this um, same question: uh, How do you uh, recharge your creativity? What do you do personally to uh, relax, or at least kind of get into that mode where you feel like you can come forward with new energy and be your most creative, productive self? Number one, I sleep. <laughs> Sleep allows me to recharge, yay for sleep, um, and so that's one thing that I definitely do. Another thing that really um, allows me to recharge is like just going on a walk with my, you know, my husband or our daughter who's still at home. And a third thing that really gets my creativity, I would say, um, well, two things. One is just uh, reading. Like I, I love to read, and reading always, like every book that I read, just has all these markings everywhere. Um, of, you know, as I'm talking to the author who's talking to me. 
So those are, I would say, the three things that really um, get my creativity going. Fantastic. Basic stuff, but that's what they are. I'm all about basic. Uh, same with me. I love to <laughs> hike. And, you know, if I can get out on a walk and see something green, then I feel recharged. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Whitney Johnson, thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm, we're going to connect everyone to uh, to your books and your website and, of course, your podcast, which is fantastic, by the way. Love listening to your podcast, Disrupt Yourself Weekly, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad that you enjoy it. Yeah, it's just at my website, WhitneyJohnson.com, but I'm glad that you enjoy it. Thank you for letting me know. Wonderful. All right. Thanks again and uh, and best of luck and success to you. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you, Christina. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Whitney Johnson, author of Disrupt Yourself, as well as Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. She was so easy to talk to, and you'll love her Disrupt Yourself podcasts too, which you can find at WhitneyJohnson.com. Coming up in future episodes, we'll chat with the former editor-in-chief at Cosmopolitan Magazine. She's writing fiction and nonfiction these days. And she has some great stories from her time at Cosmo. We'll also talk to a guy who spent time in prison and now guides ethics policy at major companies. He's an interesting story. And don't miss my back episodes with celebrity chef Tyler Florence, former supermodel turned business empire Kathy Ireland, and professional organizer Don Cannon. Finally, I have to get a plug-in for the KFBK Morning News because we are having a blast. Sam, Shane, and I each morning as we get you to school or work it's really a different morning newscast with lots of deep dives into various topics that Sam and I work on with our executive producer. Here's one we did on the song Old Town Road, which is causing some controversy in music for its crossover from rap into country. Let's play a little bit. Hey, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no So this is a country song with a rapper, or, you know, is it a rap song with a country bent? That's kind of the controversy. Okay, that's the debate. Right, right. So radio programmers can't seem to decide. The genre. Right. But Old Town wrote, it has ripped up music charts as this 19-year-old from Atlanta named Lil Nas X has caused a lot of waves in country music circles. This song has blown up on the internet. I mean, from the memes to the streaming, and it's number one on so many charts right now. Like, it is just blown up. So, of course, you're going to look at it and say, okay, well, radio should be playing this, right? Everyone's listening to it. But I think in country, it's hard for things to get accepted that are a little bit different, and this is a lot different. And I would... I would say it's a country song. I say it belongs on the Billboard country charts. I think if people want to hear it and it's a country song, that country radio should be playing it. Okay, so that's iHeart Sacramento country program director for the Bull, Amanda Bird. I talked to her yesterday about this. And Old Town Road debuted on the Billboard charts, but then there were complaints from people in Nashville. They said, this is not country. Get it off the chart. Well, I don't know if I hear country. Maybe she does, but I'm trying. So Billboard took it off the chart and they said it wasn't country enough. But when it first got pulled off the country chart, I don't think anyone noticed it was even on there until it was announced that, hey, we're pulling it off the country chart. But my question is, if it's a country rap song, why did we pull it off the country chart? But they didn't pull it off the rapper hip hop chart by saying, oh, this is a country song, not a rap song. But it went the other direction. You know what I mean? So that's where my question lies is why can't country embrace that song when it has a ton of country elements. So I think we're going to see some more stations pick it up for sure. So you have some guitar in there. He's talking about riding his horse and in on the old town road and his boots. And I mean, I was never aware there was this much debate between genres and music. 
Right. You know. Yeah, there are because so many artists are mixing and matching now. And who owns what and where does it belong and what slot and what lane. Right. So mm-hmm. you have a clip. Uh, this is Billy Ray Cyrus wanted to do a remix with Lil Nas X of this song. This is Billy Ray so Cyrus. So this is Billy Ray Cyrus with Lil Nas X. Okay, here Same we go. song. All right. Yeah, I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to Okay, that that sounds more country to me. Yeah, because you're used to hearing Billy Ray Cyrus doing country music. So now that they've kind of joined forces, the song has new life and it is climbing charts once again. And uh, Amanda told us hopefully this will bring new fans to country because that's what she's hoping. It'll be more inclusive. I just hope that country radio and Billboard as running the country chart embraces this song because there's not a lot of diversity in country music. There's not a lot of black representation in country music. So for a little Nas X to have this huge song right now that does lean country, I think that's a big deal. And if we embrace that now, then that could just open up a whole new world for country music and new listeners. And I think that'd be awesome. So do you make it a big tent and invite everyone inside and say collaborate and let's... Yes. But then how do you tell the difference between country and rap well, and everything else? I don't know, but you get a lot of play and a lot of attention. You sure do. You know, and that's what sells, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Little Nas, it's good marketing. It, it really is. It's fantastic marketing. Yeah. I know we've been talking about it for a couple of minutes. I mean, Lil Nas X uh, wrote this song after um, it, this was a meme on a social media platform that I'm not very familiar with called TikTok. OK. Uh, and Zach, yeah. you know about TikTok. Yeah, a little bit. It's a uh, app where you can play short videos. Oh, okay. uh, you can just upload about 15 second videos. And he actually made the song months before it got onto TikTok. TikTok brought it on. I see. Um, he uploaded it himself onto TikTok, mm-hmm. and then people just went crazy with it. There's hundreds and of. I would hundreds imagine of his his videos. star has just risen like crazy. Oh yeah, on this. he blew up. He yeah. he had a little bit of meme savviness mm-hmm. with uh, a Twitter account that he used to run, and he knew that this was a good direction to go. And I think they said there's over a hundred thousand videos of people using his song <laughs> wow. on this yeehaw challenge, oh, man. making up uh, kind of bending the lines between hip hop dance and country music. So and Zach is usually the one who's rapping us to get to traffic, but I have to rap yeah, Zach now right. to get we to gotta traffic. Go. Okay, so. Let's talk to Brian. <laughs> that was a Friday segment, which tends to be a bit lighter, but we're getting into some pretty interesting topics like religions and the change in religious uh, practice in this country. We talk about technology advances, history, science. We have some segments this week about the environment and jobs. So join us each weekday, 5 a.m. until 9 a.m. on the KFBK Morning News. Inside California, specifically Northern California, we're at 93.1 FM or 1530 a.m. Outside California, you can find us on the iHeartRadio app or at the website kfbk.com. Thanks again for being here. You can subscribe to A Fresh Agenda on SoundCloud or iTunes if you're so inclined. Also, a review would be very helpful to the show if you have the time. Thanks again for being here. This is A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is A Fresh Agenda. Thank <laughs> you.